Hey friends, thanks for listening to the Axiom podcast. Um, we're a community centered around experiencing Jesus together and practicing his ways as a community. Uh, we like to say in Peoria as it is in heaven. Um, so this podcast is just space for discussion and exploring um, ideas and principles of the kingdom and also where we post uh, our sermons from Sunday gatherings. So um, please engage us online and uh, hope you enjoy this episode. of Christ be with you. Uh, well, it's uh, summer's here, uh, if you haven't been able to tell, um, and just kind of a, maybe a word for the community that we feel could be helpful for us. Just this, I'm going to invite this church into a summer of simplicity, and there's a real urgency in this you know people start to in the summertime get a little nervous and anxious and they start thinking about making big life decisions and changes and i just want to encourage you to to just be steady with jesus and take a deep breath and be faithful to the moment um and so we've stripped our calendar back a little bit this summer with intentionality um but i want you guys to know we do have you know every season fall and winter and summer we put out little like fridge magnets and so there's some magnets out there with some of the dates that are coming up and i want you to know about that we're also we're going to have our axiom community groups take a break for the summer uh, so that people can be with their families. We still are encouraging just uh, getting together and finding spaces to be together with other folks. And so, um, yeah, so that's just a couple of things for you. But here's the deal. Simplicity enables us to live lives that embody contentment. And um, I think that's something that we miss in the um, living in our calendars. And contentment is a it's a it's a it's a, it's a virtue it's a gift, it's something that we have. G.K. Chesterton says that there are two ways to get enough. One is to continue to accumulate more and more, and the other is to desire less. And and I think that we have a, a little bit of a compulsion problem in our culture and world, and it's in live in me. And so I just want again I just want to. I'll say it here and then let it be, but I invite you into the simplicity, the freedom of simplicity that, that Jesus models um, and gives to us. So during the summer, we'll be back in the book of Acts. We started it uh, like a year ago, and we've been doing it in chunks. And so if you're like, hey, well, I'm kind of new, you can always go back on the podcast 
and catch up with chapters 1, 2, 3, and 4, and the first part of 5. We're in Acts chapter 5, verse 17 through 26. Uh, that's where we're going to be at. But just as a uh, maybe helpful note is that Acts is not a story of the Acts of the church. Acts is the, the Acts of God in the early church. And so what Luke gives us is a continuation of the gospel. And often we think, well, the gospel's ended. But the gospel has not ended. It still has not ended. There is still good news taking place in the world through the work of God and his people. And Acts is our, is our, is our, is our starting point for the church that as the Spirit is poured out, the church emerges and others begin to enter into it. And, it, and we get the story. And I'm so glad we get the story. Because it's so helpful for us as the church to look back to our brothers, sisters, our moms and dads, and what God was doing in their lives. No different today than uh, then. And so this is Acts chapter 5, verse 17 through 26 is where we're going to be at today. Then the high priests and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts, as they had been told, and began to teach the people. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, We found the jail secretly, securely locked, with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were at a loss, wondering what this might lead to. And then someone came and said, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. At that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Now, this... This text in Acts is on the heels of the apostles performing signs and wonders. And the crowds are starting to show up and gather around them and bring people to them. And it's right on the heels of that that we read at this first verse here in 17, where it says, then, or excuse me, no, no, you go back, I'm sorry. Go back to the, yeah, verse 17. <clears throat> then the high priest and all the associates who were there, they were filled with jealousy. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. So the religious leaders find themselves in a space where this other movement is beginning to merge and take place. It's called Christianity. And they thought they had dealt with that. Remember? With Jesus. But then there's these rumors and there's these things happening. And, and now at their doorsteps again are the apostles. And the apostles are actively telling others about this Jesus. And inviting others into this new way of life. And they are filled with jealousy. 
And, and I think this is important because what we see here is that the acts of the, of the apostles, the distinguishing characteristic of the apostles here, is to set captives free, is to heal, is to bless, is to bring news into people's life that unlocks doors and set people's free. But the characteristic of the religious leaders, the, specifically the Sadducees and, and name some others here, is to do the opposite. It's to imprison. It's to... It's to it's to hold them down. And so there's this irony that's playing out here that, that the apostles are, 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 are creating this space in which people are beginning to testify to good things. People are beginning to show up. Crowds are coming. People are being blessed. People are being healed. All these wonderful things are happening. Signs of wonders. And so the religious leaders decide, well, let's lock it down. One is filled with the Spirit, and one is filled with jealousy. And that's what this says. They were filled with jealousy. And in that spirit, they imprisoned the apostles. But in the apostles' spirit, filled with the Holy Ghost, they set people free. It's always been interesting to me how jealousy is often disguised by religious leaders as protecting the faith. It's a real problem, and it isn't just now. It was then also. We see that this has been something that's existed in the power dynamic of leadership in all sorts of places, not even just the church. But here there's this temptation to shroud in this holy notion. But in truth, when you strip it back, it's jealousy that's taking place. And I'm not saying always, everywhere. And I'm not saying that there's not times for protecting the faith. But what's taking place here is an act of jealousy. Then the Sadducees, who out of their jealousy were able to lock them up. Yes, they were. And, but in, you would think that they would go, hey, good job. And they're probably off to have a party. Except unbeknownst to them that what they did, of course, and again, here's the irony of Luke telling the stories. While they put them into a public jail in the non-public hours of the night... God's Spirit comes and unlocks the door. Which I love, by the way, that locked doors aren't an issue in the kingdom of God. That the things in our life that feel like they've trapped us, that the Spirit of God is able to break through that too. And, and we see this demonstration of the Spirit here. And the Spirit, then this angel comes and says to them, and here, now you can go to the, that, that slide you were at, the, uh, the red slide. I'll call it the red slide. There just, is that red, orange, burnt orange? I, burnt orange. The angel of the Lord says, look, the men you put in jail are standing. Oh, sorry, not that one. The other one. We're going to get this right. 
He says, go stand in the temple courts and tell them about this new life. Now, just hold that there for a minute. This angel comes to them at night, breaks into the prison. So the power of the Sadducees and the temple guard and all these people was to imprison them and put them behind bars. But that meant nothing to to this angel, to this messenger of God. This messenger comes and not only sets them out, and you would think, here's your moment to get away, right? Like, get out of here before they come back. But it says, go stand in the temple courts and tell them about this new life. Now, they don't have a term for this new life yet. Christians haven't been called Christian yet. That comes in chapter 11. And in the... uh, in, in, in the Greek here, this is actually, go tell them about this life. And life is capital L. And, and, and this reading is interesting because the even it's, like, it's as if the angel doesn't even have a good verbiage for this yet. Just go tell them about what you've experienced. Go tell them about this new way of life that you are participating in. And the evangelical in me loves this text. Because here at the genesis of the church is this commission from God to not be afraid, to not let cells keep you in, but to go and stand in the courts and tell them about this new life. Because they were living differently than the life that was out here. You can't call it new life if it's just the life that's out there with a little bit of worship on it. It's a new life. It's not like the Romans and it's not like the Jews. It's different enough that both parties were beginning to take notice and be threatened by it. Because, of course, This new life that they were living was the life that Jesus had modeled for them to live. And that way of life was not the customs of this world. And that should have tangible distinctions to it. The new life. And it's not that we go and tell people about it, right? That's there also, but it's that we tell them about the life we're living. And I feel like I need to say that because sometimes we get really good about standing in certain places and telling people about certain ways, but in our closed corners of our own selves, we don't live that life. But it's both. And we know this because we've been reading about it. What are some of the characteristics of this new life that they're now living? I mean, think about it. It's radical. They, most of them have started selling their property to care for the people in their family. That's, that's different. They weren't doing that before. That's different. But we're going to take care of each other's needs. That's what we do in the kingdom of God. They also began to break bread in each other's homes almost daily. It says that they went from house to house. 
You know, a few of you like to go to like five different community groups. And I used to think that was a bad thing. But now I'm kind of wondering, maybe there's something in this. To being in each other's homes, doing life together, breaking bread together. The central theme and practice of the church was breaking bread. It was the communion table. And they picked this up in abundance. They're also heavily invested in the work of healing and caring for the sick, the widows, and the orphans. Because these were the evident needs of their day. And so they were all over that. And of course, without saying, it meant allegiance to Jesus. It meant baptism for those that were confessing and believing. But you know what the primary marker, at least in Acts, and you'll see this as we keep going in Acts is, the primary marker for them was that they were telling other people about Jesus. They were using words. They couldn't not talk about the new life that they were experiencing in Jesus. From Pentecost on, I mean, that's the first thing. You know, spirit of fire comes down. They're giving these tongues of fire. They're, they're able to speak language, and, and people understand it. And they're, they're telling people about Jesus. And people are being added to the faith. And it makes sense that this would be a primary marker because it's a new life. Haven't heard about it before. Don't know what it looks like. Don't understand how, it look, how, how to do it. And so we pick up here also this component of what Jesus is commissioning in us. Go. Make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe, or to observe all that I've commanded. And so, so Jesus is saying this too. He's like, hey, listen, I, I, I've shown you guys, I've taught you guys, but now you're going to have to go and, and, I'll say, instead of baptize, immerse others in this, new, in this relational reality of God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, this way of living. You're going you're gonna to baptize them in this way of living and teach them everything that I've commanded because it's a new way of life. And that's why the Sermon on the Mount is such a big deal because Jesus maps it out. He says, this is what this life looks like in the kingdom. This is how it's different. And he masterfully does it by rewriting the Ten Commandments. It's pretty brilliant literature. And, and, and there it is. And so this new life, this new way of being that Jesus is ushering in, here we see the apostles going and doing it and telling it. And we're called to do the same thing. Go and speak to the people all the words of this life to the people. That's the literal translation I gave you. And that's what they do. And that's what they do. And when they do that, then we get to this next slide where it says, look... The men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. Guess what they were teaching the people about? Jesus and the new life. That's what they were telling about it. And again, what great irony that the prisoners are now in the temple courts where prisoners are condemned. 
And they're the ones proclaiming out of the courts this news that they're not supposed to be sharing. It's beautiful, but this is what's happening. This is the work of God carrying itself out. They're speaking the truth in the very courts that would have condemned them. And what we see here in this irony is that justice in the kingdom of God is about unlocking doors. It's about, it's about setting people free. It's about helping others experience the grace of God. And the only way that anybody gets out of their prisons is through this person, Jesus. And our story, this is our story, tells this over and over again. And so many are still telling it today. So as we allow God's Spirit to unlock the doors of our own cells, we begin to go and tell others. And then we join the Spirit in doing that for others which the Spirit has already done in us. That's the power of the word, by the way. The truth that is manifest in Jesus and available to us. So I encourage us to bring a good word, the good news, because the Gospels don't end with Luke. They're just getting started in Acts in each of us. want to invite us to center ourselves just as the early church did in this communion, the table that Jesus has brought to us. And I know there's a mystery in the table and there's pieces of it that we don't fully understand and then there's a real simplicity in it too. It's like, listen, Jesus came and as he came, he gave himself over for us. He allowed his body to be broken. He allowed his blood to be shed so that we might experience this new life with God again. He was restoring through his own means what we had lost through our own means. And what a gift. And Jesus invites us to come back to that truth and the many layers of truth that exist in communion like the remembering of the body and that's not just remembering, that's the putting back together of the fellowship of God. In communion, we see that food is for everyone, and so God is for all people also. We see that forgiveness, the thing that none of us can ever do, can be done. And we see that there's this new wine, that this new thing God's doing. The list goes on. So here at Axiom, we, we like to take communion together. And, and, but you don't have to. You can take it on your own. That's totally fine. Uh, but I encourage you to come down the center rows and then grab a cracker, dip it in the juice, and then maybe just find a spot in the room and gather with two or three others and offer thanks to God. Uh, maybe if you need to, you confess your sins. If somebody does that with you, be faithful to bless them. Uh, to remind them of their forgiveness. 
But you're sharing in Jesus together, okay? If you need prayer at this time, I encourage you to join us in the prayer corner. We'd love to take communion together. All right, let's do that. This is the table not of the church, but of the Lord. It is to be made ready for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come, because it is the Lord who invites you. It is his will that those who want him should meet him here. Please join us.